This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Roger Johnson, president of the National Farmers Union. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta, investing billions for innovation to tackle climate change. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with North Dakota's Roger Johnson next. Syngenta is committing $2 billion for innovation to tackle climate change. The aim is to deliver at least two technological breakthroughs each year to reduce agriculture's contribution to climate change. That goal is matched by a drive to reduce the carbon intensity of the company's entire operations by at least 50% by 2030. Syngenta. See what innovative thinking and collaboration can accomplish. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. North Dakota's Roger Johnson has served as president of the National Farmers Union for the last 10 years and will not seek re-election when his term is up next month. The former state director of agriculture never forgot his roots in farming while serving farmers at his home state or farm families across the nation. Johnson says the NFU has long been involved in keeping farmers' interests represented in the discussion over climate change and carbon. People forget sometimes that in 2008, in that election, it was Barack Obama and John McCain. They both supported cap-and-trade. There was this presumption that we were going to have some sort of carbon pricing that was going to happen in this country. Now, that all fell apart, but the fact that that fell apart doesn't negate the fact that the climate is changing. It's changing dramatically and in a lot of ways more rapidly than what scientists had anticipated might be the case. And the need for action is pretty transparent right now. So we need to get this right. We need to join the rest of the world in tackling this major issue. And all the science suggests that agriculture is in the best position to be the first player and to do the major amount of sequestration if we get our incentives lined up with the practices that we know scientifically are going to sequester more carbon into the soil. Um, I mean, we were there before, in, in, in fact, in 2006, North Dakota Farmers Union stood up a carbon credit program and we had millions of acres signed up in, I think, 30 some different states in less than a year's time based on the presumption that there was going to be a price on carbon. My point in saying that, now that all fell apart about three years later when the Chicago Climate Exchange went out of existence and there was no price on carbon available. But my point in saying that is that if you get the science right and the economics right, I think farmers will join and make these changes very quickly. But you need to get the economic incentives there. Farmers want to do the right thing. And increasingly, we know, we understand that there are practices that we can, that we can undertake that are going to increase carbon sequestration, increase organic matter. And as organic matter goes up, you know that the ability of this land to absorb uh, rainfall increases significantly. Uh, and its ability to recycle nutrients increases. But that takes time to build that, and and it's a more 
challenging process than the techniques that most farmers are using today. So we need we need to get the science. We need to put more investment into the science behind this to make sure that farmers know what it is that will work and why it'll work and how fast it'll happen, all those kinds of things. And then we need to get the incentives, the economic incentives right, so that farmers know that they're going to be compensated for moving more carbon into the soil. You know, some are doing this regardless, but you have to be able to make money in order to stay in business. And that's something that, you know, sometimes folks in Washington, it seems like they just don't appreciate that enough. So, you know, I am very hopeful around this that that we are... In agriculture, I think there's a recognition across the rest of society that agriculture needs to be part of this solution. And I think increasingly there's a recognition that you can't just do it by regulating and telling farmers you must do this or that, that a far faster and more efficient way of doing that is to get the economic incentives right. So there's a price on carbon and the technology needs to develop so that we can quickly and accurately measure the amount of of carbon that goes into the soil instead of just base it on practices, which, you know, that has value too, but it's it's a less certain process. So as that technology improves, uh, I think, we're just going to be there and we need to make sure that we're at the table to so that as this legislation gets written um and these these guideposts get set for how this economy is going to operate that it's done in a way that that compensates farmers for doing the kind of thing that needs to be done for the for the climate I'm interested in your evaluation of the EPA's administration of the renewable fuel standard do you think the uh, do you think the reallocation of the and the SRE situation is it resolved, Roger? I don't think so. Um, you know, we sued. We were one of the the four parties that sued EPA and won here just a couple weeks ago. A decision, I think it was in the Tenth Circuit, that said EPA in in the three cases that we sued three specific SRE. Uh, SREs that were granted to three plants, the, the court sided with us and said, in fact, SREs, the, the E is for extensions here, that they cannot, EPA was illegal when it granted these SREs to plants that had never received one earlier. The whole idea around uh, SREs that when it was written into the RFS initially back in 2005 and then subsequently re-upped in the two, 2007 Act was to allow small refineries time to adjust. Well, that's a long time ago. It, it was not designed to be an ongoing gift to these small refineries. It was designed to give them time to adjust to the market. And so the court said... EPA, you can only give these to the folks that originally got one and then subsequently got extensions of those exemptions, okay? And what EPA did under this administration was came in and just handed out brand new SREs to to plants that had never received them before. So the court said, illegal, you can't do that. They never got one to begin with. You can't extend something 
that wasn't granted to begin with. So it remains to be seen what EPA is going to be uh, going to do this and how they're going to modify their behavior on the SREs. I'm worried about what they're going to do because we had an earlier court decision about three years ago that required EPA to re-up about a half a billion gallons worth of renewable fuels to put them back into the RFS, into these allocated gallons, and they have not yet done that. So that was a court decision three years ago. It's never been overturned. I mean, it remains the case today. The industry has been expecting every year that that those half billion gallons were going to be rolled back in uh, when the new announcement came out every year never happened. So we'll see what happens. But I think that this EPA under this administration has just grossly abused the use of the SREs, and it has been an outright gift to the oil industry. And I don't think they've even been particularly shy about saying that. At the end of 19, the House approved uh, a Farm Worker Modernization Act. We've Mm -hmm. not seen any traction as yet in the Senate. What does agriculture lose the longer we linger uh, to bring a new set of rules to fruition? You know, I think what you see happening is that instead of agricultural production that is labor-intensive, so we're mostly talking fruit and vegetables and uh, a number of the uh, the livestock sectors here, instead of it happening here, you're increasingly likely to see it happen in other countries. Uh, and I don't think that's a good scenario for any of us. So we need to figure out how to get this issue resolved. The House, certainly good faith effort. I wish the Senate would take this up. Maybe they will, but it, it seems as though it's not very likely that they will. Uh, this is an issue that does need to get resolved. It, it may have to wait until after the election, and we'll see if the politics change in any fashion. We'll see where it goes. There's a lot of pressure on the Senate to take it up. It might happen, but the politics are very, very difficult for it to happen right now. Roger, from your vantage point, what does the next farm bill look like and the process that would bring it forward? I think the next farm bill is going to be really difficult. And If you step way back and you look big picture, at what the challenges are in passing farm bills. The Congress, first of all, is becoming increasingly urban-oriented. That's been a long, long-term trend that's been the case for a long time. That was largely what led Congress back probably close to 50 years ago now when they rolled nutrition programs into the farm bill in recognition of this urban increasing urban viewpoint, particularly in the House. And so there has been this long-term alliance between sort of the nutrition advocates and the farm safety net advocates, if you will, that we and, you know, a lot of the other farm groups tend to find ourselves in the camp of. I think there's a couple of things that have happened that are really stressing that alliance. I mean, it was stressed in this last farm bill. But in this current environment, it's stressed even more. You had a big fight that took place in the last farm bill near the end over nutrition. 
And at the end of the day, uh, the nutrition title kind of stayed intact uh, on a bipartisan basis. The Senate really stepped up there. Pat Roberts said, this is important. We're going to keep it there. Um, and it refused to make these adjustments that folks were arguing for. Well, the administration now has published a couple of rules to try and do what Congress refused to do. That's got folks on the left in particular pretty grumpy because there is this view that it's sort of undermining that deal that was done years ago. On the other end of the political spectrum, MFP has drawn significant criticism, particularly from the far right. MFP is necessary as it was to try and deal with some of the trade damage uh, that have happened as a result of, of actions from this administration in putting money into the into the pockets of farmers is huge. I mean, it's a huge amount of money. There's more money that goes out in FMP than all of the money that goes out uh, on the crop insurance subsidies or all of the money that goes out for PLC and ARC and the dairy programs, all those kinds of things. So from a relative standpoint, MFP is a lot of money. MFP, however, the way it was in, administered by this administration, really sort of threw away the rule book on some of the income limitations that Congress put in place in terms of farmers eligible to receive government payments and doubled the payment limitations on the rest. And they did it in a way that I think we're seeing increasingly from the Tea Party folks in the on the far right that are saying, this is just a waste of taxpayer money. We're giving money to folks that don't need it. Um, and so they have been sort of awakened in this debate. And so I, I, my view here is that long term, you've, you've got folks who are pretty grumpy on the far right and folks who are pretty grumpy on the far left, uh, more so than normal. And that's just going to be an increasingly difficult political situation for the leaders of both parties and both houses to navigate in the next farm bill. The final thing I'll say about this, Jeff, is that I have, I've been involved in public policy for a long, long time. My training is in economics and I've always paid attention to the federal uh, government fiscal deficit. Um, for the last three, four years, it's like nobody cares about it. And our our deficit is a trillion dollars a year right now. That means the money that we're spending is exceeding all the money coming in from all sources by a trillion dollars a year. Um, that can't be ignored forever. And my suspicion is that after this next election, you're going to see a lot of suddenly you're going to see focus on the trade deficit or on the fiscal deficit, the government spending deficit. Um, and that's going to make it very difficult. So, so when you write the next farm bill, you got a lot of farmers used to receiving all these payments from MFP that have been totally off budget. And it happens at a time when there's going to be increasing pressure to cut government spending. So it's going to make it 
there's just a lot of things that I think are going to make it really tough to write this next farm bill. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying, you know, the way it's lining up right now from sort of a big picture perspective, I think there's some real challenges. Roger, you've announced that you're not going to seek re-election after this upcoming convention. A rich tradition and, and uh, a farmer in uh, North Dakota and public servant for your state and then serving uh, as president of the National Farmers Union for the last 10 years. Uh, from where you stand right now, what's your advice to the new president, to this organization, and as well to the industry? You know, what I would say to to the incoming president of Farmers Union is stay the course. I, I think Farmers Union has a rich history of standing up for the family farmer, standing up for rural communities, focusing more on people than just on the economic, you know, where the big dollars go. That's not to say economics are, are not important. They're absolutely important, but we focus on them more from the perspective of the family farmer and rural communities. Um, and we are entirely membership-driven. So all of the things that I say and promote and the things that we stand for here in Washington, D.C., or around the country in state capitals is based on policy that our members have adopted at our convention. So they direct us on what it is that we support, uh, what what it is that we oppose, what kind of new policies that we want. And I think there's a genius in that. And and so my advice to the incoming president, pay attention to what folks in the countryside are saying because they're, they generally get it right. You know, they generally get it right. And one of the things that our forefathers I'm so proud of for doing is their understanding that economic fairness happens when markets are fair. And then if you have too few players in markets, then you end up with a dysfunction in the markets. You end up with inefficiency in the markets and you end up with those with farmers that end up getting hurt economically. That's both on the input side as well as on the marketing side. So we have long supported the creation of cooperatives as a means of business organization to bring sort of a yardstick for competition, if you will, both on the on the input, the supply side as well as on the marketing side. And I you know, I'm I'm proud of the fact that we've done that, that we have a history of doing that because it means we've always had a focus on we want competitive markets out there. We want folks to be treated fairly, and the way you make sure that they get treated fairly is you make sure the government should be involved in regulating to the point of making sure that you don't have monopoly or monopsonistic powers uh, that are out there in the marketplace. We've not been doing a very good job of that in recent years, in my opinion. Uh, but that's that's where government ought to be. They ought to be sort of setting the sideboards on how how large these companies can get from the standpoint of whether they are the sole player in the market. Because if they're the sole player in the market, then you know that there there are going to be impressive uh, economic uh, uh, results that are going to happen to the rest of us in a in a competitive market. So we've long supported competitive markets. 
one of the means of supporting that is to is to support cooperatives uh because even if they end up making more money than they should well the cooperative business model simply rebates all that money back to the owners and and uh, the patrons of the cooperative so you know that's a good attitude to have in my judgment it also is one that tends to focus more on rural communities so roger johnson uh, a tremendous career in service at the national farmers union we applaud your effort and service as a spokesman for agriculture in so many different ways uh, we're grateful for your time to spend with us on this edition of Open Mic. And as is the tradition of Open Mic, sir, you have the last word today. Well, thanks, Jeff. I Listen, this job has been the honor of my life. And before this, I was... I was agriculture commissioner in North Dakota, and I thought that was the best job anyone could ever have. So I've been really, truly blessed. You know, I grew up on a farm. I farmed most of my life, and I had two jobs that have just been awesome jobs and have put me in a position of trying to be a spokesperson for and trying to help folks in our industry. And I'm I'm proud of the work that I've done, but more than that, I'm proud of the work that that our organization does uh, and that our industry does. I mean, there's no more imp- important industry than agriculture. I mean, none of us are going to be around long if we don't have food. So it's important that we stand up. It's important that we remain the voice for agriculture. And it's important that we do our production in a way that our consumers appreciate and want if we're going to be here for the long term. Um, you know, the last thing I would say is that there's another piece of this that's really important, and I'm going to point to you and folks in the press, Jeff. It's, uh, you know, we live in a wonderful country, and the rights and responsibilities that we joy, enjoy in this country are only enhanced by the amount of freedom of the press freedom of speech and those kinds of things uh, that we enjoy in this country and that you and folks in your industry uh, make sure that uh, that we continue to enjoy. So thanks for the good work that you've done. Our thanks to Roger Johnson, president of the National Farmers Union, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta, investing billions for innovation to tackle climate change. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.